Live. Well, you can learn about issues that affect us every day. State of world, 411 Live. Real people, real talk. Made to help people in our community in every way. For your girl, 411 Live is in the midst of its eighth season. Some of you have been around from the very beginning, and we thank you for that. For the next two episodes, we'll highlight some of the interesting topics and people you may have heard or may have missed in season seven. Oh, by the way, I'm your host, Beverly Taylor, and this is the 411 Live Real People, Real Talk. Let's get started with episode one Above the Clouds. Changing Lives Through Art. Above the Clouds president, Linda Wade, described her vision in forming this organization. You started traveling. You went to kind of a ministry ministry trip in Texas. Correct. At the prison. Yes, I go to the women's prison. I still go to do that today. Mm -hmm. And so we go to death row. We go to general population and protective custody. And as I'm in those um, places and talking to the women, I always would ask them about what got them here, not about their crime, but, mm-hmm. you know, what happened in their life. And they always would go back to what happened with them as a child or bad decisions as a young adult. And I was taking that and thinking about that and looking at our children here in Milwaukee. And I was coming back from Texas prison trip and I was going, OK, Lord, you want me to have this arts program? I don't even know what it's going to be called. And we were on the plane over the clouds when I got the name Above the Clouds. And it actually comes from Isaiah 55, 9, where it says, My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So I was so excited because I landed, called Barb Melsheimer, who's a good friend, and said, I believe this is what God wants me to do, and you're the person that's supposed to help me. And so we spent a year putting it together, and we started at one site at Heart Love Place, and it just grew from there. Now, see, that's a good friend. You just tell her, this is what God has placed on my heart. (laughs) Yes. And you're supposed to help me. Yes. And she says, yes. Well, yeah, she did. Um, You know, Barb has a heart for the children and the arts as well. Her and I both came from a background that our parents couldn't afford if we wanted to take a class Mm -hmm. in the arts because our parents were working parents, but they didn't have the extra money for that. So she knew there was something else that she wanted to do. And when I came to her about that and we spent that year praying about it and putting things in place, it just resonated with her. So how did it like take off? Because I mean, this thing, you're in a beautiful building, you're, you know, the kids are coming. Yes. How did you start with just the handful of kids and it just kind of grew or it what? It did. We started at Heartlove Place with four instructors and four classes. And then it just grew by word of mouth. And the more people would hear about it, the more they would want to come and try our classes. And at first they thought, oh, this is a rec program. I can bring them there take them out. And then they noticed that it wasn't. Then they noticed something else. They noticed our faith component, mm-hmm. which is unique in itself. And so it just grew from there. And then we would get calls from other um, community buildings and schools and stuff that wanted our program in there. And till this day, we have 21 sites on the waiting list waiting for us to provide classes at their location. Oh, wow. That's that's good. Episodes two and three were reviews of season six, so we'll skip those and move on to episode four. I spoke with my pastor, Julius R. Malone of New Testament Church. We call it Overcoming Unexpected Struggles Through God. Pastor Malone shared how he strives to see God in everything. I look for God in everything. I just felt that 
this was of God. And, 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 and that's how I roll. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Is, is I look for God in everything. And, and if I sense that God is in something, uh, then uh, I'll say yes to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, during your messages, you tell stories, uh, illustrations from your, your life. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, more people could benefit from this. Not, it resonates with people other people's experience, and they think, oh, wow, that kind of happened to me, and I kind of yeah, thought right, that way, right. and if it happened to him, you know, it just validates things yes, for them. Yes. Um, so I, I'm like a little kid, tell me a story, you know, so <laughs> I just want to kind of go through some of the things that you tell that, that stick with me okay. and, and, you know, that are important to me. Okay. One story that you tell that I always find interesting is when you were a child and you were your your sister who was older, right. you went to work with her right. at a fortune teller's house. Right. <laughs> Tell me that story. <laughs> well, first of all, Proverbs, and, and I'm amazed at, um, uh, you know, truths that I see in psychology and psychiatry. I see it in the Bible. I mean, all truth is is God's truth, and uh, in Proverbs, in Proverbs uh, uh, twenty three seven, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. And uh, Proverbs eighteen twenty one, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Now. In in socio- sociology, uh, one of the things that I remember from sociology, and of course my degrees are in, in, in social work, uh, but we get our image of ourselves from our significant others, mm-hmm. people that are significant to us. Uh, it can be, and it can be anybody. It, it can be a friend, it can be a relative, it can be a mother, a father, a grandmother, it can be anybody that's significant to you. That is where you get your image of yourself. And so if your significant others are telling you negative things, that you're going to be a fool, you're going to be a nobody, you're going to be like your Uncle Jack, you're going to be a drug dealer, or you're going to be a gang member, you're going to be a prostitute. I mean, if, 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 if someone is t- if your significant others are telling you right. that, then uh, that gets into... Your subconscious. Yeah, you internalize it. it you, exactly. And, and, and in the Bible, many of the places, not everywhere, but many of the places where the Bible uses the word heart, I, I believe is what the psychiatrists and the psychologists call the subconscious. Yeah. And, um, and, 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 it's so that, and that's what controls us once it, it get, gets there. Now, we can control to a certain extent what gets into our subconscious, but once it's there, we can no longer control it. Proverbs um, 4.23, guard your heart, your subconscious, with all diligence, for out of it your subconscious are the issues of life. And it, I'm not surprised today if, you're, if people are spending their time watching uh, violent movies, pornography, profanity, and movies tend to be filled with them, and that gets into their subconscious, then that's what's going to come out. Luke uh, 6, 46, for from, within, uh, for from within, out of the heart, out of the subconscious, come evil thoughts. Now, 
my grandmother, who was a significant other for me, mm-hmm. she would affirm me so highly that it was actually embarrassing. You know, she would like this. I mean, especially to Caucasians, you know, this is my grandson, and uh, he's going to finish college. Uh, he's going to wear a necktie. That's why I put on a necktie today. I thought, thought about, and we call it Big Mama. Uh-huh. And, uh, and he's going to wear a necktie. He's going to sit behind a desk. He's going to have a pistol. I had so much to talk about with Pastor Malone that I persuaded him to stay for episode five called Going Through the Storms of Life. We talked about how things happen in our lives we might see as negative, but God uses them to get us from point A to point B. I'm kind of looking at this as the storms in life. One of those storms was when uh, Mrs. Malone got sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has passed on now. And the ironic thing was she had pancreatic cancer. And a, f- a few years earlier, you were diagnosed, diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Yes, yes. And then she, she got it, and ca- there was a diff- different outcome. Yes. Knowing what you went through mm-hmm. and how you, because there were times you'd gone through treatment, yes. and then Sunday morning you're up on the on the well, pulpit, yes. and no one would even know. Yes. You know, they couldn't tell the difference. Yes. Um, but for her, it was a different story. Yes. How did you maneuver that? Sometimes uh, God is directing from point A to point B. Why did God allow Joseph to be sold into slavery by his own brothers? Mm-hmm. Own brothers sold him into slavery. Why did God allow that? God, if you read the whole story, it's very clear that God wanted Joseph in Egypt. Right. Uh, you know, God promised Abraham that his descendants were, even the bondage, God even told Abraham that was going to happen. And so that was no accident. Yeah. That was all a part of his plan. And, uh, and so God wanted Joseph in Egypt. Again, obviously we don't have time to tell the whole story, but if you read it, you'll see that God wanted him there. And um, the famine, all of this, God planned all of this. This was God's way of getting the whole nation, Jacob and everybody, down in Egypt. In fact, when Jacob was on his way to Egypt, God told him in a dream, don't be afraid to go down into Egypt. I'm going to make of you a great nation there. Right. And so Egypt was like an incubator for the development of the nation. And Joseph said to his brothers in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. And so sometimes difficult things happen because God is, is directing. And with regard to my, my wife's situation, it, it, was, it was difficult because, number one, she was diagnosed with the same thing that I had. Number two, the same people who were praying for me 24-7 mm-hmm. prayed for her 24-7. Mm-hmm. Except for the, uh, the oncologist, we had the same team, the same surgeon. Everything, this, everything was the same mm-hmm. except for the, uh, the, the, the oncologist. And so why did she pass away? And, and, and here again, what helped me is that I believe 
that God is sovereign at all times and over all things, that he's in control. In Exodus uh, chapter 15, I believe it's verse 26, when God healed the bitter waters, he used means. Right. And, it, and, and, and you would not expect him in that setting, in that context, to say, I'm Jehovah Rapha, <laughs> I'm your healer. You wouldn't expect him to use means. You would expect him to do it directly, mm -hmm. but he used means. And uh, Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, and you go, I can go on and on and on right. where God used means. Now, God healed directly. You find that in the scripture. But more often than not, you see God healing. So you're, you're through, through that, you're thinking all these scriptures. You're standing on these yes. scriptures to it, get you through. Yes, exactly. And so uh, I, I also believe that when the servant of God is in the will of God, obeying the word of God, he or she cannot die until his or her work is done. I base that upon Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why didn't the fire burn them up? They were servants of God in the will of God, obeying the word of God. Why didn't the lions eat Daniel up? He was a servant of God in the will of God, obeying the word of God. James was beheaded in, 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 in Acts chapter 12. Why wasn't Peter? He was scheduled to be executed. Why was he delivered? His work wasn't done. And so on and I could go on and on and on and on. But the bottom line is that what helped me is that, okay, my wife's work's done. Mm -hmm. Mine isn't. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm still here. And that, th those kinds of things uh, helped me tremendously. Uh, and sure, there was, there was pain. And, and, and another thing I did, too, is, 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 is uh, four days before my wife passed away, uh, she was in hospice care at home, and I thank God that I was able to bring her home, and she passed away at home. Mm -hmm. But four days before she passed is I marked... Episode 6, Imbalances Within Household That Lead to Disruptive Behavior. In this episode, I chatted with Andre Ellis and his wife, Angela, about how they've helped many boys in crisis in Milwaukee and how it's past time for all hands to be on deck. Once I was in the garden one Saturday, and I had 100 boys between the ages of 12 and 16 years old. And I asked the question, how many of you don't know your father? 90 of them raised their hand. Mm -hmm. How many of you know your father but still don't have a relationship with him? Five more raised their hand out of 100 little black boys who got to that garden by 8 o'clock to work for $20 for four hours because if you're late, Mr. Andre shuts the gate and don't let you in. And 800.1 is late, not 801. You don't have a minute to be late in life because death is even less than a second to happen to you. So, so is love and so is understanding. But only five of them knew their dad and possibly had a relationship out of them. And that's when I looked at them and said, okay, I don't have to be your birth dad. I'm the earth dad. Mm. And many of them began to call me pops. And, and that opened up the invitation for young black boys who had tons of questions, who had a whole lot of anger, 
who had a whole lot of poverty in their lives. Some of them were there to get their $20. And when they got it, you could see the parents gathering mm-hmm. on by foot on the corner as soon as they got mm-hmm. paid and walking them into the corner store using their $20 to purchase a pack of cigarettes oh, and then wow. giving them the change or taking their 10 of their dollars to go buy a crack rock mm-hmm. to, to go back to the house. Or the boys would come and say, don't give me my money in front of everybody because my mother over there walked watching and I need to tell her that I didn't get paid today. I said, no, because if you tell her you didn't get paid, I'm going to be in trouble. And so I walk over to the parent and I say, hey, Please don't use his money for this today or that today. And then I might not see that little boy the next week or mm. the time after that because the parent has then told him you can't go back over there anymore. You put them people in mm-hmm. our business and they take the goodness away. And the next time I hear about a little Charlie, he's in handcuffs mm. or he's at the juvenile justice center where I go sometime and do work. But Angela, I'm just wondering you know that it's it's a lot to take it it's it's admirable it's important to love these kids and speak to them where they are and reach them we need more people to do that but that takes a toll doesn't it it does it does yeah you saw that i did i did but again mm-hmm. i just i knew that that was something that that's where andre's heart was mm-hmm. um those boys um, some of them didn't have no one, no mom, no dad, an uncle. They didn't have anyone. And to just throw them back out into the streets or I say to the wolves, I just I didn't think it was fair. Right. And if they are coming to Andre for help, who am I to tell him not to help them? And then turn around and see it on the news that they've they've died. Yeah. Something has happened to them. I, I don't think I would be able to live with myself with that. So, yeah, he um he's do, he did and he's doing what what God puts on his heart to do. Right. Like he said he's not the birth dad, he he's the earth dad. Um to I'm I'll say thousands of boys, young men, young gentlemen, some of them are almost his age. Right. Right. Who probably don't know their dad or know their dad are in a bad relationship because I hear it. I, I hear some of the conversations and they, they are of age, but they still, his phone still rings. Right. And I still, I hear those conversations. Yeah. You were telling me earlier that, you know, you get a kid that, you know, 19 was sent to prison or to jail and spent there, been there for 10, 15 years. And then, and they've heard about you. They hmm. get out and they come. They would come to the garden to find you. And they're forty years old. Take the word "thug," remove the T. You have what they need—a hug. Mm-hmm. All right, and then you can reach them. And 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 oftentimes, when you're trying to hug a boy or a man, and they've been touched already or been labeled something else, and you go in towards them, and you're a man, they have to first make sure that you're genuine, mm-hmm. that you're not looking for for sex or or something else that 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 may have hurt them or something like that, or how how their life is dictated. 
it now. But it happens all the time where I meet young brothers that come home from prison and they come and meet me or they used to come to the garden. And that's the first thing that they would express, express that they watched me on the news mm -hmm. or they read about me in the paper or other people that are in the neighborhood doing it too because I'm not the only one. You've got some great guys and some great places that people can go through. I love, um, if I can just shout out the Running Rebels organization. Absolutely. I love them for, for being a, a place where they could go. And I love what Kwabana, Antoine Nixon, and Muhib Dyer, and Ajamu Butler, and them do. And if I didn't say your name, it's not because I'm lessening what you do. You make yourself known and, and make yourself um, out there, and then people will hear about it. But it's just many of us that are doing it. Here's what I wish. I wish that the governmental entities and the people and the cliques that are getting together downtown in the boardroom mm -hmm. and, and putting together the budgets and the monies and the resources that need to be going into the houses and the neighborhoods so that the thugs who need a hug can kind of rise above what it is that they're going through and putting it in the hands of those of us that will do things that will help the people because it's really, really bad. But here's the other thing, Beverly, and I have to say it. Mm -hmm. It's a business. And in our city, you know, many people go to college and get a degree for urban everything. They get a degree in urban. Episode 7. Why Tori Lowe is the most requested advocate in Wisconsin. I talked to Tori about why residents trust him with their most painful crises and some of the hair-raising situations he's faced. What I noticed about you is you are well-connected with the community, with the black community especially, and they trust you. Right. right. And so things come up and they are contacting you probably before they're contacting, say, police. Many times. Yeah. If it's a, you know, a criminal kind of circumstance right. um, or a missing person, they're yep. contacting you. Facts. You know, um, there's there's a trust factor within that. There's something that says, well, I can trust him and I believe he will hear me. Well, that's a. That's because of a, they saw a result that somebody else got. Mm -hmm. And all you got to do is just go out and bring a result and everybody going to come running. I mean, help is a, a universal idea. When you help somebody and if you're successful, other people are going to want that same result. So my connection with my people is they want those results that they see other people have gotten. So they, it's not like they, you know, we're friends or we, right. I know them or I, I never even seen these people before. But what they're after is the resolve. Is this a, for you, is this a calling? Right. It's it's definitely a calling because I had a, a severe situation in Minnesota. I always tell people I was made in Minnesota. I went out to Minnesota. I got into this relationship, went to this small town, uh, got into an incident at a packing house where some white men tried to jump me in the back of the packing house, tie me up and throw me in the hog grinder. So I got out of the situation, got to my house. They came to my house, tried to snatch me out of my house, and I was living above my landlord, and he came up with a gun and got him off the doorstep. Oh, wow. Well, when we was telling the police what took place that night, they arrested me and said I jumped them. And that's when I started realizing that all the stuff they told you about, get a good job, mm -hmm. you know, grow up, try to be a man, try to do the right thing, and everything will work out fine. It's not true. Wow. Okay. So how do you come out of that? Because here's, here's my thought. People gravitate to you when they know he understands right. what I'm going through. Like when somebody dies, say my mom died, and somebody who hasn't had 
deaf in their family. They've never experienced it. And they tell me, I know how you feel. Right. Really? But if someone that I know, their mom has died, their dad has died, and I have seen them go through the grief, and then they come to me and they say, I know where you are, Mm -hmm. I'm going to listen to them because I know that they've, they've been where I am. And you can relate. And I can relate. So I see that in a sense with you from that experience, which right. was traumatic. Right. I've been through a severe, several severe traumatic experiences, but I think that was the biggest one, uh, what happened to me at work in, in, in Worthington, Minnesota. Because I had to go to a federal court. I had to I had to deal with uh, the politics of, of, of law. Mm-hmm. And then I had to deal with like so many different facets, like the police department, the township, uh, on a federal level. And so when I came home, I already understood and how to win, you know. So I came home with kind of a blueprint on how to get things done. And let, in a let's, way. let's just back this up because this happened to you. So they arrested you. Yep, they arrested me. So you had to go through that. Part. I had to get out of that. And then, and you then sued. had to sue them. Like, you sued them. So it took me four and a half years to do all of that. It, it wasn't a, a quick process. So I let that that showed me patience, yeah. and so when I came, I mean, I I've been a part of almost like sixty something long. Episode eight is very popular. It's called Bianca's incredible keto and exercise weight loss journey. Bianca Smith Lot takes us through her journey of dropping from four hundred and fifty six pounds to hundred and eighty seven. No surgery involved. She explains how she made the mental and physical switch. What was what was your journey? Were you heavy as a kid? I was. Um, I've pretty much been overweight as long as I can remember. I know for sure in junior high, high school, I've always been overweight. Um, it did get out of hand more so when I had my children, but I've I've never been a small person that I can remember. Okay, so your attitude or your kind of your countenance has always been pretty healthy and upbeat. Yes. Okay. Even at my heaviest weight, um, I've never been just like sad about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it did hold me back from doing certain things, but I wouldn't say that I was depressed behind it. Right. Right. Now say when you were, you hit 300, you hit 400. What was the reaction from other people? No one actually said anything except uh, my dad. He's always said, you need to get this weight off. You need mm-hmm. to slow down but besides him no one ever made it a big deal a big deal and my doctors of course would tell me I need to lose weight but as far as like my family things no one ever made it a big deal did the uh the weight gain uh, affect your health surprisingly I always had normal labs Hmm. No high blood pressure, no diabetes, but I was always warned if you continue on this track, you could develop these things. Right, right. Had you tried dieting before? Multiple times. Multiple times. What did you go through? (laughs) Weight Watchers. um, I found trainers online. I would try their diet plans and their exercise plans, but I never stuck to any of them. How long would you last? Do you remember? Different ones, it would be different time frames. Some of them, I may make it a month. 
two months. If there were challenges, I would go to the end because I am kind of a, a competitive person. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to give up. But if it was a challenge after the challenge, then I would revert back to my old ways. Right, right. And did you find yourself gaining, you know, after you've lost some, gaining that back and more? And more. Yes, exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. So I wonder what clicked this time. What was different? I think the biggest difference was two factors, really. Mm-hmm. I had children and I wanted to be there for them. And I lost both, both of my parents, mm-hmm. one in 2016, one in 2019. And both of them had health issues and I want to be here for my children. So I wanted to make sure I got myself healthy so I could live a long life and be here and see their children and be able to help raise their children with them, whereas my parents aren't here to do that with me and my children. Like my daughter never met either of her grandparents and my son, he met both of them, but only for a short time frame. So I want to make sure I I can do everything that I need to do to uh, extend my, my life expectancy. So that was two of the major factors for me. That makes, makes total sense. So when you start to change and, you know, eat a certain way, did, it, it affect the whole family. I guess the kids were so little, but like your husband, I mean, did he change his eating with you or? Initially he didn't, but um, he would walk with me in the evenings to help me, motivate me to get out there and do it as well. His eating changed eventually. Like um, I do keto, he do a modified version of keto. Like he won't fully do it, but he did change his eating habits. And uh, my kids, my daughter, That's a review of half of season seven. We'll review the last half next time. I encourage you to check out the full podcast. My guests are insightful, transparent, and relatable. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support our efforts, go to our website, the411live.org. I'm Beverly Taylor, and this is The 411 Live. Real people, real talk. If you would like to check out past episodes, there are many ways. Go to your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Like and watch us on Facebook. Watch and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you have suggestions for future episodes, go to our website, the411live.org.